0: Hi, I'm David Mickey Evans, probably best known as the writer, director, and voice of The Sandlot. And I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond.
1: On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Hey, welcome back to On Screen and Beyond. And if you're here for the first time, I hope you're going to enjoy our show. We have a lot of great guests here. Go back to onscreenandbeyond.com and listen to all our episodes. I'm sure you're going to find some great people that you really enjoyed watching and listening to over the years at onscreenandbeyond.com. I'm your host Brian Zemrak, and this is Onscreen and Beyond, the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels and TV and movie DVD releases as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV or music industry. This is episode 335 of Onscreen and Beyond and David Mickey Evans is going to be joining us this week. He is a writer, director. He gave us Radio Flyer and great movie The Sandlot that's right and he was the voice the guy who narrated it all through there so we get a lot of things to talk about with Mickey he's got some new projects that are going on and hopefully we'll get some inside information from him all right so that's coming up in a few minutes right here David Mickey Evans right here on On Screen and Beyond from The Sandlot and if you are on Facebook I hope you're going to like us and if uh, you tell a friend we like that because we get more listeners here at On Screen and Beyond. And like I said earlier, if you go to onscreenandbeyond.com, you'll see all 335 episodes of this show. And we have so many different people on there from the music world and, uh, of course, from movies and TV. So check it out. And if you have a suggestion, be sure to send it to us at feedback at com. I will see what I can do about getting that person on and it's a little difficult sometimes. First, we have to try to find a connection. And once we can get the connection, then we've got to convince them that, uh, you know, this is a show that they could uh, enjoy being on. So uh, if we've done an interview with a friend or somebody they've worked with, it uh, more likely we will get them on here. So if you have a connection, then let me know because I'd love to <laughs> get somebody that you know, too. Send your suggestions to feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. We'll see about getting it on. Alright, what do you say? we got a lot of strange things coming your way in uh, remakes and upcoming new movies, and also in sequels, of course. Let's get right into it. It's time for Remake Madness, right here on On Screen and Beyond.
2: Please hang up and try again.
1: Remake Madness, well, the remake of Disney's Pete's Dragon is moving along, and word is out that Robert Redford, will play a major role in it. Now, I don't know if he's going to play like the role that Mickey Rooney played in the original, but uh, we'll find out as soon as we uh, hear more. And another classic TV show is headed for the big screen as far into a remake. Uh, It looks like Little House on the Prairie, is in the works so that could be interesting and Vince Vaughn we've uh, talked about this before but uh, just hinted on it that he is remaking the TV show The Rockford Files uh, putting it up on the silver screen so that's what we got coming your way and uh, next on On Screen and Beyond it is time for upcoming new movies upcoming new movies Will Smith will star in The American Can it's based on a true story of an ex-Marine who rescues 244 people from his apartment building after Hurricane Katrina. And you can look for Patrick Warburton, James Kahn, Nathan Lane, and Brian Dennehy to star in Sweetwater. It's coming out in 2015, and it's a story about the first African-American to play in the NBA back in 1950. And Nicole Kinbin and Jason Bateman will star in The Family Fang as a brother and sister return home to find their famous parents who have disappeared. That's it for upcoming new movies next on On Screen and Beyond. Take you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming your way as far as sequels. Sequel City, it looks like Pacific Rim 3 is moving along. According to Guillermo del Toro, he will uh, write and direct the third installment, and uh, the second one hasn't even come out, but he's already talking about Pacific Rim 3. And between now and 2020, Warner Brothers and DC Comics plans to release 12 movies including Justice League 1 and 2, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Shazam, The Suicide Squad, and more solo Batman and Superman sequels. So that's a lot of stuff coming our way as far as superheroes. And Bridget Jones 3 is still being bounced around, but Hugh Grant says, "Mm mm-mm, he definitely will not be involved. We'll find out if that uh, holds true. That's it for Sequel City coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD? TV on DVD, December 9th. Family Guy, Volume 13, will land in a three-disc set on DVD. And October 28th, In Search of Ancient Mysteries. Now, this was was narrated by Rod Serling, and it arrives. And this is really the beginnings of what led into the In Search of show that was hosted by Leonard Nimoy. And uh, it's also actually sort of very similar in a lead for the Ancient Aliens series that's on now, I guess. And on December 11th, the Americans, the complete second season, lands on DVD. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on, on screen to be on movies on DVD. <laughs> movies on DVD. October 21st, Film Chest releases A Woman in Flames. Now that's a 1983 drama. And on January 6th, Boyhood with Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette will hit stores. And The Expendables 3 arrives on DVD and Blu-ray on November 25th. That is it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, it is TV and Entertainment Time. <laughs> TV and Entertainment Time. Well, Neil Patrick Harris, of course, everybody knows now, will be the host of this year's Oscars and a new version Now, this is a TV remake of The Courtship of Eddie's Father is in the works over at Fox, if you remember that show from the 60s, and it uh, was a Bill Bixby in it, and uh, it was a Brandon Cruz, so uh, we'll see what they do with that, and also another remaking or retelling or continuation, actually, the continuation of Twin Peaks is heading our way. We'll keep you informed on that. That's it for TV time, and next on On Screen and Beyond, it's Celebrity Birthday Time.
2: (laughs) We baked you a birthday cake. If you get a tummy ache and you moan and groan and woe,
0: don't forget we told you so.
1: Happy birthday! Happy birthday! <laughs> Celebrity birthday time, October 19th. John Lithgow turns 68. John Favreau turns 47. And October 21st, Carrie Fisher, that's right, from Star Wars, turns 57. And October 22nd. Christopher Lloyd turns 75. Jeff Goldblum turns 61. And on October 23rd, Ryan Reynolds turns 37. And Weird Al Yankovic turns 54 years old. And October 24th, Kevin Klein turns 66. That's it for celebrity birthdays. Listener's birthdays, if you would like to have your birthday said here on On Screen to be on, so the whole world knows about it, whether it's yours, a friend's, a relative, whatever, send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. Include all the information, when it is, and also how old they are if you want, and their name. A lot of people just want me to say their first name and their first initial, or last initial rather, or whatever. Whatever you're comfortable with, send it to me at feedback at beyond, and we'll get it on. Just like these, October 17th. It looks like a Crystal J in Cincinnati, Ohio, turns 47. And on October 21st, David R. in Hamburg, Germany, turns 38 years old. And that's it for birthdays here at On Screen and Beyond. Wish everybody happy birthday. And once again, send us your information. We'll get yours on right here at On Screen and Beyond. And now it's time for our celebrity interview. We have... David Mickey Evans, the writer, director, producer of The Sandlot and Radio Flyer, right here at On Screen and Beyond. David is up next. Today on On Screen and Beyond, my guest is a writer, producer, and director who gave us such films as Radio Flyer, First Kid, and of course, The Sandlot. It's David Mickey Evans. David, welcome to On Screen and Beyond.
0: Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it very much.
1: David, i got to tell you, one of my favorite movies is The Sandlot. It's just one of those movies that, you know, everybody just seems to love.
0: Well, uh, me too. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I... I understand. I, I, I understood sort of the first, I don't know, 18 years that that movie had been around, and then it really came home to me uh, last year, the year of 2013. That was the 20th anniversary of the film, and mm-hmm. uh, 20th Century Fox sent me yeah. on tour uh, all over the United States for, you know, eight or nine months. Um, oh gosh, we did uh, probably about 33,000 miles, maybe 25 Major and minor league ballparks where we would uh, show the film, you know, in in baseball stadiums, and uh, had no idea what was going to happen or even if anybody was going to show up. Um, and by the end of it, after I had met literally hundreds of thousands of fans um, and signed tens of thousands of autographs and heard uh, firsthand from moms and dads and kids. And uh, even little kids down to three years old uh, to grandfathers and and grandmothers uh, who told me that it wasn't just that they loved the film. Many, many times they would say, I love this. This was awesome. They'd say, Mr. Evans just don't understand. Good question. I would say, well, what is it that I don't understand? And invariably they would say, you see, this movie and those kids in that movie are like part of our lives. They're part of our family. Mm -hmm. And they were uh, they're like my kids or our kids uh, siblings you know who sort of taught them lessons and entertain them growing up so yeah there's a a pretty large pervasive love for that film i'm very grateful for that. yeah
1: now when you were a kid did, did did that reflect a lot of the things that you went through when you were growing up do you know did you play in a sand lot and and you know things like that
0: well you know a lot of it uh was what i wished my uh, childhood had been like mm-hmm. some of it was my childhood. I didn't have a really cool Sandlot like that, and I—I uh, I was a kid in the '70s rather than the early '60s. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, we uh, out on the street that we lived out on the on the asphalt. We would play the uh, baseball during baseball season, basketball during basketball season, that sort of thing. And uh, there was an incident in my childhood when my little brother. Uh, without me went down to the end of the block where some kids, the kids that lived on the block when we were kids, they didn't like us very much. In fact, they they hated us (laughs) for various reasons. (laughs) It was not good. And uh, they uh, had hit a ball over a backyard fence um, and told my little brother, if you want to play, go get the ball and you can play with us. Because in those days, when you had a baseball, you had a baseball, not like today when you have a bag of baseball. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, if you, you know, you shanked it into a, a yard, you had to go get it. So anyway, he went and got it in that backyard, lived a very vicious dog, believe it or not, named Hercules. And uh, he got the ball, but the dog got him and bit his leg up really bad. So, Ooh. yeah, with sort of a – thinking about that, um, the what I essentially did, it was this sort of cathartic writer's thing where, you know, rather than uh, – trying to hunt those guys down in my adult life, you <laughs> know, make them pay. Uh, I decided just to turn them all into heroes, forgive them, and move on. And, uh, you know, the result of that is the Sandlot. So it, it seems to have worked out pretty good, that whole forgiveness thing. You
1: know? Right, yeah. <laughs> you got the better part of that deal.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so.
1: So so what did you do as far as, uh, you know, writing? That, well, let's start with Radio Flyer. Now, that was your first, was that your first writing that you had done?
0: oh gosh no it was my first uh it was my first big studio sale for sure that one broke all the records in hollywood and that was uh maybe about two and a half years uh after i had graduated college and you know lived that complete starving artist life it was just no fun at all um and i wrote uh i mean i didn't know what to do you know i had a communication arts degree and you know four college degrees and a load of student debt and all that and i had no idea what to do and uh so I decided to write a novel and I wrote a novel and I got I don't know probably 25 or 26 rejection slips and then uh, you know nobody in my gene pool had ever been uh, in the entertainment business let alone motion pictures but through a friend of a friend and this and that the other thing I eventually met a person who was the daughter of a uh, business manager in the entertainment world and through that person I met an entertainment lawyer, and I let him read the novel. He called me up the next day uh, in tears and said, you got to turn this into a movie, into a screenplay. So I did, and it took me, I don't know, about a, about a month or so to turn that novel into a screenplay. And a week later, uh, that script broke every record in Hollywood, and that was Radio Flyer. Wow. jeez. Yeah.
1: Now, was it a big difference writing the novel as a, as compared to writing a screenplay,
0: I think so. Yeah, um, you know, uh, people don't realize, and you know, they think, oh, screenplays, screenplays are easy. Uh, you know, they're ninety to one hundred twenty pages, blah blah blah, and that could not be further from the truth. Of all the forms in which there are to write, the one within which it is most difficult to write well is the screenplay form, and that's for a host of reasons, but none the least of which is because it's what you see and what you hear, and that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Um, in a novel, you can do anything. Right. You can go anywhere, in any time. You can be inside someone's head. You can be inside someone's head who was inside someone's head, and you know, so on and so on and so on. Uh, so writing uh, a screenplay, an effective, clean, screenplay is a uh, very very difficult and um, uh yeah it, it it took a lot of effort you know there was a lot that had to be left out and stuff that needed to be necessarily uh compressed and combined from the novel and uh you know i i, I thought i did a pretty good job and, and made the right decisions and uh, you know then the movie got made and i uh learned a lot of valuable lessons during that time and, and that is that uh, once you type fade out if you don't have a hand in producing it and or direct it it's going to get changed and mm-hmm. a lot of those changes as a writer you're not going to be too happy with
1: yeah yeah, you know? yeah. i can imagine it, it i mean you know let's face it this is your baby you wrote it and mm-hmm. i mean you were fortunate enough to be able to write the screenplay because i imagine a lot of times the screenplay is really uh, a lot different if somebody else writes it I mean that's just a, a guess but uh, and, oh sure and sure. it must be hard yeah, for no, the okay. writers
0: yeah it is I think I mean if, if you've got a, a novel or something and, and you're not involved in the in the writing of the screenplay or the, 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 the coming up with that yeah I mean you're just sort of at the mercy of whatever the process is that the writer that's doing that uses um And that process if it's not akin to yours and uh you know those those feelings those thoughts that drama that conflict those characters and 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 all of that is a part of you any writer worth their soul is in every piece of writing that they do then yeah it it necessarily comes out different and that's not always a good thing
1: yeah now compared to radio flyer and now uh the the sandlot you compare those two where you had I, I take it you had more control over The Sandlot because you wrote it, you directed it. Uh, did you produce that one too?
0: Yeah, I had a hand in that. You had a hand in that? I had a couple of enormously uh, uh, talented and, and capable producers uh, on that one, Kathleen Summers and Mark Berg. And uh, they um, they helped, uh, helped me a lot. But yeah, as far as uh, the performances and shooting what I wanted to shoot the way I wanted to shoot it the way I saw it, yeah that movie's if I had to put a percentage on it, it's probably between eighty five and ninety percent of what I meant, which is a remarkable average mm-hmm. you know um, there you know you you make three movies you you write a movie, you direct a movie, and then you edit a movie and uh I'm very very fortunate that uh that in the end it ended up being very very close to what I intended
1: yeah. did you ever think that it would be still? as notable as it is now, 20 years later? Oh, no.
0: I mean, you you, you hope. You know, those are are always the hopes that you make something that uh, stands the test of time or uh, becomes what they like to refer to as an evergreen film. You know, you think about uh, evergreen films and with the exception of, let's say, the classic Disney animated stuff from the, you know, 38, probably through the late 50s. Mm-hmm. um and then things like holiday pictures you know uh, a christmas story it's a wonderful life things like that right most evergreen films are holiday oriented films right um, the great majority of them that that's something that this i mean it takes place in the summer there's a little bit of Fourth of july in there but it's certainly not a holiday film that something like that would would become the worldwide and it really is a phenomenon i mean it, you know, it's not me speaking, but it, it, it consistently wins, you know, the Sports Illustrated Contest and, you know, Bleacher's Report and all that stuff every year, the, the best baseball movie ever made and the greatest summer movie of all time. So how that happened, I have no idea. I If I had to guess, it was the synergy and the relationship uh, that I had with the, the young actors in that movie. We really got along and they really understood uh, what I needed them to do and, and bring uh, to their to their individual role um i think fox did a a a a great job in the initial uh, marketing of the thing that's a a really big part of any film and i mean all in all i think the movie is very honest it's authentic i think it's funny um these people tell me it is and i think that people it has the the one thing it engenders in an audience that is most I think difficult to achieve is that uh, you identify with those characters. Oh yeah. Either as having been one of those characters when you were a kid, mm-hmm. or wanting to have been one of those characters when you were a kid. So th- I think that's where uh, its longevity lies. You know. Yeah.
1: Now you you worked with. Uh, relatively unknown kids which they they all you always hear that kids working with kids is tough, <laughs> and you were working with yeah. relatively unknowns uh did you find that difficult
0: no actually i, I found it uh wonderful uh, I got to be a kid you know um, right there's you know you you're right not a lot of those kids had ever been in front of a movie camera before um and i didn't cast them you know so that they could come in and turn in some Lawrence Olivier or Dustin Hoffman sort of uh, performance I cast them just based on themselves you know mm-hmm. uh casting them as the characters uh, just because they had uh you know personalities that that just lit up they were honest kids they were fearless um they were nice kids all good kids uh quality young guys and um And like that, but, but but working with, yeah, you know, look, sometimes it's like hurting squirrels. I mean, it really is because, you know, these guys were 11, 12 and 13 and had, you know, more energy than you can imagine. (laughs) And, you know, and movie making sometimes was a bit of a slow and boring process. Mm -hmm. So, you know, keeping them focused was, uh, was, uh, sometimes a chore, but not, not one that we didn't know that we would have to
2: address.
0: Um, plus, we shot in the summer. They didn't, you know, they didn't have school. They had some school, on set stuff, but for the most part, you know, they only worked six or eight hours a day, and then they could go hang out together and be buddies and have pretty much. And I've heard this from every single one of them: the greatest summer of their lives. I mean, to this day, they tell me that. So, yeah. it, it was all cool. Wow.
1: On the flip side, you had Dennis Leary, Karen Allen, and James Earl Jones on there, who are you know quite notable people.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, that was that was kind of funny. I mean, for the first couple of weeks of uh, shooting, <laughs> I didn't have any adult actors uh, there at all. We were doing just most of the, you know, the kid scenes and all that. So there I was interfacing with 11, 12, 13-year-olds, sort of uh, communicating with them the way they needed to be communicated with. And, uh, you know, you kind of you start being a little kid again, you know, or, or an adolescent. And then two, two and a half weeks in, you know Karen and uh, and Dennis uh, show up, and uh, obviously Mr. Uh, Mr. Jones, and it was uh, it was remarkable because we would talk about seeing you know, light it, set it up, block it, and then I'd shoot it, and I was so used to saying, okay, that was pretty good, let's do it again, or uh, here's some adjustments, or why don't you try this, or whatever. And then the first time these guys are in a scene and, and, and do, I say action and cut, it's, I didn't have anything else to say. (laughs) They (laughs) they were just, it was done, you know, so we do one or two for safety and and that was it. That's the big difference Mm -hmm. between, you know, young, young kid uh, sort actors and, uh, and polished professionals. Um, right. And that was, uh, Wonderful and remarkable to see and also to experience. Yeah.
1: Now, who made the decision that you were going to be the narrator of it? And and you did a great job. I thought you, I thought the voice was great on there.
0: Well, that was uh, the guy, the actor that played the adult Scotty Smalls in the movie is a terrific actor and a wonderful guy named Arliss Howard. Um, and Arliss, if memory serves, is uh, from the South, maybe Alabama, Mississippi, something like that. And in real life, as he's walking around, Arliss has a bit of a you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, this was supposed to be the San Fernando Valley in the early 70s, so, you know, it wasn't as if Scotty Smalls uh, was a kid with a southern draw. So, we went in after the movie was cut and all that, and Arlis came in to lay down the narration, and it just sort of didn't work. Um, and uh, we came to an agreement about that. Uh, I, you know, figured I had to figure something else out. So we're sitting there in the recording studio as he goes on his way. And my editor, the great Michael Stevenson, looks at me and goes, well, you do it. <laughs> I said, oh, me? He says, yeah, you wrote it. You know how to say it. Go in there and do it. And we did. And I did it probably in two takes, the entire thing. Wow. Um, changed <laughs> some stuff and made some stuff up as we were sitting there that occurred to us. And uh, it's been like that ever since. So it was really cool.
1: Yeah, I mean it. It just fits so well, and it, it it just seems so real. And and of course you wrote it, so of course I would. You know, it would be like that, I
2: guess.
0: Yeah, I guess you know. Yeah. I mean, people. I've been. I mean, that's one of the, the things that never, ceases to amaze you. Is, you know, I've been all over the United States and, you know, various parts of the world, and I have many times, been. Uh, like I, there was a time I was in Missouri coming back from uh, doing a picture in Iowa, and we stopped in the middle of nowhere and went to a coffee shop to get a coffee, and two of my kids were with me. So I said, I'd like to get a black coffee and two hot chocolates with whipped cream. And there was a young lady behind the counter. Was probably 18 or 19. And she <laughs> stares at me as if I'm trying to rob the place, you know? <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, I, you know, a black coffee and two hot chocolates with... Whipped cream is. Are we good? And she says, "Oh my God, you're that guy." <laughs> and I, I didn't know if she was talking to me. I looked around. She goes, "No, no, you're the Sandlot guy." <laughs> so that was, you know, one of the times that it came how enormously powerful uh, motion pictures are. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's you know, who am I to that person? Uh, and I learned that I that at least my voice in that movie was uh, important to them. So that was. That was very cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Jeez. So, now, uh, you've done a lot of other different things, and um, you I, I noticed that you are working on a new film called uh, The Treehouse.
0: Uh, yeah, The Treehouse is a picture we hope to shoot uh, early next year. Um, a bit of a uh, story about honor, and um, it's got a, a bit of an anti-bullying message to it like that um, a lot of fun as well a lot of fun about two groups of uh, rival kids all in the 12th 13th uh, year old range who one summer go to war for possession of a very famous awesome tree house so
1: sounds great well, I didn't
0: write that. yeah it's pretty cool I didn't write it but I I, I do look very much forward to directing it hmm yeah. I've got a, a number of other things on the on the on on the front burners. Um, one is uh, that I just finished the screenplay for. Oh gosh, probably about a month ago. And this one might go before the treehouse. It's uh, called the Sacred Acre, and it's actually based on a true story—the story of uh, uh, one of the greatest high school football coaches that ever lived, uh, Ed Thomas from Parkersburg, Iowa. Um, bit of a tragic story, but. Uh, an enormously compelling story. Uh, So we got that and uh, and a bunch of other stuff. Is that
1: something that you wrote? Uh,
0: Yeah, I did. I wrote that one.
1: You wrote that one too. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah, that was uh, I've done a number of uh, pictures that were based on either true stories or even a bigger responsibility is based on uh, true stories uh, regarding uh, people or the relatives of that still are amongst us, and that is a it is a very difficult road to uh, to go down because you've got uh, a lot more than just the needs of the story to address, mm-hmm. um, and that's the concerns of uh, of the people. Yeah. Uh, so far, you know, I, I seem to bat in the high nine hundreds on that, so. It's very difficult. It's, it's always a, a, a big challenge, and and I uh, always like those challenges.
1: Yeah, I would think that writing a story that is a true based on a true story is is tough because uh, a lot of times, and may, maybe it's not the writer that does it or the director. It might be the studios, but uh, that movie that's out uh, right now about the the game stands tall. Uh huh. I've heard that that one is. Uh, there's things that didn't really happen in real life and they've had they've changed things like the football coach's son wasn't actually a football player and, but he was in the movie and, you know, a lot of different things like that. So, you know, it's, you always wonder who makes these decisions, you know,
0: (laughs) that's a, that is a very good question. Um, and it sort of depends a lot of that, becomes studio oriented, uh, uh, committees, you know, execs, um, I don't know doing whatever it is that they do <laughs> imposing or insisting on whatever it is they think they know and all that um, but yeah I've heard that from a number of people as well and look there's, there's a difference between taking dramatic license you know and coming up with a scene that perhaps didn't exactly happen in real life but nonetheless uh, supports um, either something about the character or more to the point, a relationship between, you know, two or more characters, um, that's okay, you know, if, if, it's, uh, if it's honest and right. you're trying to, you know, get something dramatic or, or funny or whatever across about that person so that, that an audience comes to understand it in the context of a motion picture. I mean, all stories, all motion pictures are constructs you know mm-hmm. there's no, you know the Kinoi thing died 40 years ago okay you know ego Vertov and oh I'm just an extension of my limb? no he wasn't <laughs> okay because he had to point it at something Right. so you know not to get esoteric but um, so taking dramatic license I think it's alright but just wholesale making stuff up that didn't happen mm. because why ever it doesn't matter that's that's not only wrong it's utterly irresponsible yeah and uh you know, you see that all the time. Yeah. You, you know, look, if you want to, if you want to make something that is a chronology or, um, you know, that's, uh, meant to chronicle, you know, a true story, make a documentary. Right. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. but yeah. If, if we're making something that's intended as a a, a, a narrative piece, then it's almost always necessary to, uh, you know, take life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that, that, I always wondered if, if this really happened. If you've ever seen the movie The Majestic with Jim Carrey. Sure. At the opening of the film, the Jim Carrey is the writer of a film, and he's standing, sitting in an, an office, office with studio execs, and they are basically totally tearing his story apart and making, you know, suggestions or really not suggestions demands <laughs> i guess right and right. and you know you wonder is this really true does this type of thing happen and and the more i talk to writers the more it seems that it really does
0: <laughs> oh sure yeah I, I i could give you you know 10 examples of that in my career uh none the least of which is uh the it wasn't a, it wasn't an executive it was the head of the studio mm-hmm. um at the time when i had sold radio flyer uh, summoned me, as it were To his estate And uh, on a large bridge Over his koi fish lake Yes, it was a lake It was not a pond Jeez. Um, Biggest koi fish I've ever seen in my life Says to me I love this script And he's actually holding a copy of it Meaning Radio Flyer mm-hmm. And I said, well that's terrific, thank you very much And he says, uh, you wrote my life And I said, oh, uh, is that good? You know? And he said, yeah, it's really good, it's really good And he says, just one thing, all right, just one thing. If you kill the dog, I'm not going to make this movie. Well, (laughs) you have to kill the dog. He says, you didn't hear me. If you kill the dog, I'm not going to make this movie. And I made the mistake. I was very young and sort of new, green. I says, well, you know, don't you see that the dog has to die? Because if the dog doesn't die, then the stakes are not raised at the appropriate time in the story to let the audience know that the kid has got to get away or he's next, <laughs> and that well, that was an air show that went over his head like, you know, yeah. like a jet. <laughs> and he looks at me and screams at the top of his lungs, I'll never forget it. Okay, I'm gonna use a four-letter word, so put your finger on the beef machine. <laughs> he says to me in the loudest possible voice, if you kill this fucking dog, I won't make this move. And I said, uh, and again, I was very young, very green, I said, Don't make the movie. Oh, geez. (laughs) And uh, he stares at me and says, you know what? Let's just talk about this later. Come on. So, and that was it. That was the end of the story. And guess what? The dog didn't die. He won. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. I learned my lesson, you know?
1: Wow. Jeez. So, yeah, yeah, it's surprising that you would say that, you know? Don't make the movie.
0: (laughs) Well, I I didn't know nothing from nothing, you know? I I had no idea that I would that I was literally saying, fire me. You know, right. I, I, it was just too new to know anything about that. And uh, uh, the rest of the uh, experience of making that movie, you know, when Richard Donner directed it, God love him, he was incredibly kind to me, and let me, I was there every second on set, pre-production, production, post-production, everything. Very, very kind. And uh, I, le- it was baptism by fire. Right. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that I have that experience because I got a, a whole lifetime's a, a, a worth of learning in uh, in a very short time. Yeah.
1: See, now you can make a movie about that, <laughs> you know, about,
0: uh, about a writer. <laughs> my, my friend, that book is, has been, I've been writing that book for many years. One day, <laughs> one day, I will publish that book.
1: <laughs> I can't wait for that one, I'll tell you. Oh, yeah. All right, David, I want to finish up with two final questions, taking us away from your writing, your directing, producing, everything else. When you sit back and relax, what do you like to watch on TV? What are your favorite TV shows now and of the past? And what's your favorite movies now and of the past?
0: Oh, wow, what a a story. Well, one, I don't have TV. Um, I gave that up uh, a long time ago. Uh, I, I do have, you know, big flat screen and all that, but mostly that doesn't even get turned on unless Manny Pacquiao is having a fight, and then I'll watch it. (laughs) Um, So, you know, there's that. Um, But I do... Let's see. uh, Recent television shows. um, I was a big Lost fan when when that was around. Mm -hmm. Um, I binge-watched and probably... Oh, three or four days, all of Breaking Bad, and that, in my estimation, is the greatest television show ever made. Um, I'm I'm not the only, obviously, many, many people believe that. Right. Um, You know, um, I'm a fan of uh, the show Vikings. I think that, you know, Mm -hmm. exceptionally well done. Um, uh, Catherine Winnick's a a buddy from a long time ago, so I'm very, very happy to see her have all of that success well-deserved. Um. And what, what was the other? Oh, movies. Oh, movies. Uh, yeah, movies, movies, movies. I mean, I have uh, a lot of heartfelt favorites. Um, whenever I want to sit down watch a movie and, I don't know, contemplate my position, you know, among the people of the world and cry my eyes out, I watch Woody Allen's Manhattan.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: I can watch anything Woody does. Uh, I watched the other night, I had not seen Hugo, and that that didn't win the Academy Award shocks me. I think Scorsese is, uh, if not the most brilliant, uh, director working, uh, now, certainly one of the two or three, um, movies that influenced me, uh, Star Wars was a huge, huge influence on me when I was 13, 14 years old. Um, you know, anything John Ford did, The uh, Quiet Man, yeah. um, anything, uh, John Huston did, uh, Treasure of the Madre, uh, that comes to mind, uh, you know uh, the searchers. I mean, just spectacularly well-made, well uh, wrought uh, uh, motion pictures. Um, thing, you know, it's look. It, does it hold my interest? Number one, and does it move me emotionally? And if it does, great. Yeah, that's that's my that's my uh, measuring uh, stick.
2: And mm-hmm.
0: uh, I think it was Hitchcock said it. He says, look, movies are only one thing. I think I'm paraphrasing here. They're they are emotion button pushing machines. Right. And when somebody invents a machine where you can push a button and feel those emotions, then movies are dead. And I hope that no one ever invents that. Right. You
1: <laughs> know? Yeah. Well, David, I thank you so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed listening to your stories, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time.
0: Well, I appreciate it very much as well. Can I plug something while we're on the? Uh... Sure can uh, on the show here. Sure. Uh, I mentioned a little bit ago, the uh, novel that I wrote, uh, uh, from which I, uh, generated the screenplay for radio flyer. Well, that was uh, a little over 20 years ago and I never published that novel. Well, just a little while ago, I did publish that novel. Oh, okay. The, the novel is, uh, the King of Poima. And, uh, I mean, literally just published it a few days ago and I've already got, uh, uh, some reviews on uh, Amazon.com on its page, and uh, they're all five stars out of five stars. So people seem to uh, like it very much. And um, there are, you know, a lot of people that over the intervening twenty years have asked me over and over and over again, "What happened to Bobby at the end of Radio Flyer?" Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of debate and conjecture about that for over two decades, and those answers were and are in the novel. Um, They were never left unanswered, and that was never my intent. Um, So if anybody wants to uh, take a look at that, uh, they can go, obviously, to Amazon or CreateSpace. They can uh, just uh, search The King of Papoima, or they can go, I just started a website for my little book publishing company called flyingwagonbooks.com. And uh, you can get all the information about it there as well. And I hope people do. Yeah,
1: and we'll put a link on our our website so uh, people can just click on it and go right to it.
0: That'd be great. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for doing this, David. I appreciate it.
0: Well, right back at you. I'll come on anytime, and it has been my pleasure and my honor. Thank you very much.
1: I want to thank David Mickey Evans so much for taking the time to talk to us here at On Screen and Beyond. Uh, Great guest. He had a lot of information there and uh, loved hearing the stories he had to tell. And, of course, Great film, The Sandlot. If you have not seen it, be sure to check it out. Watch it with the family. The kids will love it, and you will love it too. And also Radio Flyer, another one. And check out his book too. we got a lot of information there for you. And uh, you go to onscreenbeyond.com We'll have the link right there. And that is it. We uh, This week I was on the phone a couple of times with different guests who are going to be coming our way shortly here on On Screen and Beyond. So once again, if you have a suggestion, send it to me because a lot of times I don't think of the same people you're thinking of and I'm trying to find more people, very, you know, diverse group of people here at On Screen and Beyond. So if you could send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, that would be great. I'll see what I can do about getting that person on. And that's it for now. That's a wrap for this week. Until next week when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care.